love you. We honor you. We appreciate the fact that you have gathered us here tonight to share with us the treasures of the Spirit to help us walk in our ordination, to help us understand what makes for successful life and how to reach our destiny. We thank you that as we contemplate on your word, that surely the Spirit's empowerment will be upon us. Anoint us, enable us to understand the things that we cannot understand. For there is a spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. So by your breath, give us understanding here tonight. To learn and achieve the purpose for which you have gathered us here today. We love you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Praise God. Good evening. Thank you for coming once again. Genesis chapter 1. Let's get into our discussions. Last night we said several things which I believe were essential to give us a foundation for what we would continue to discuss. And we mentioned several things with regards to success in life and how that true success always has an eternal perspective and that we are as successful as we are obedient to God. Only God can define to us what success is in its truest form. And last night I attempted to give you that overview because the fact that the desire to succeed is imbued in every single one of us is proof that success is a divine ordination. That success is part of the human genome and God instilled it there. So the true nature of success is divine. It is divine. It is, it is the result of divine intelligence. But because we live in a fallen world, the pursuit or the understanding of what success is has been corrupt, corrupted down through the ages. So we live in a system that prizes achievement over fulfillment, that prizes materialism over contentment, 
Men wake up day in, day out, chasing shadows. What they believe to be success. What they believe to be prosperity. But from the beginning, it was God who set us the boundaries, the standards of what an individual's success should look like. And I told you, your success is different from the other person's success. Our success does not fall categorically under the same thread. Everyone's success is determined by how clearly they have interpreted and articulated and executed the thing for which God has made them to be. So really the pursuit of a man's life should be to know why he or she was born. Without that understanding, life becomes an illusion. Life becomes an unfocused lens, a blurry lens, where you end up striving and trying and trying because you just don't know where you fit in. So it, be, it is difficult for us to learn the way of life because we live in a system that has pressured us, pressured us to act and attain the standard or the definition of what this world terms as success. So we know inside that we got to find out why we are born, why we are here. There must be a reason why I am here, but the pressures of life do not allow us. So every man gets to a point in their lives where he must determine to pursue the idea of destiny or die. So life is not worth chasing shadows. What are shadows? Shadows are those things in your life that you are pursuing or have pursued that have nothing to do with the design of God for your life. So we elaborated on why is it important for us to learn how to hear God because the, the ability to obey lies in us hearing God. But we must understand that life does not begin until destiny is revealed. Where you begin to live 
is the point at which you understand why you are born. Can I read you something? Let's read Genesis chapter 1, please. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then, then God said, who said it? Then God said, it is always God that initiates the creation of man. Then God said, let us. Make man in our image and after our likeness. So we learn from the very first book in the Bible that man is a product of God's intelligence, is a product of God's genius, is a product of God's idea. He was conceived in the mind of God. So only God can truly have the blueprint for every individual on earth. Only God. He is a product of his spirit. The spirit of God has made me. And the breath of the almighty God has given me life. So only God understands the intricacies of man better than man does himself. So what man must learn to do is that he must learn to encounter and go back to the God who made him to truly understand and track why he was born. So life has its meaning in our encounter with God. So let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And then God said, let them have dominion. God gives purpose to man. He attaches purpose destiny to man. The man that I create, the man that I make, he must have dominion. God created man with that objective, that man must, must, must be created to live out a purpose. So the forces, the ideals, the, 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 the strength For which a man would live by only comes when he realizes why God made him. The purpose to which God had intended and planned for his birth. So we see from Genesis chapter 1 that all men, all men, all men are products of God's planning. All men are products of God's intelligence. That there is no human being that is ever born that does not serve a purpose in the mind of God. So you are only as important, as significant in life as the understanding you have 
while God made you. So the pursuit of life is to understand your design. Is to understand and discover your design. Because God must always speak to your destiny before he speaks to your provision. Suffering is only relevant. Suffering is only a reality to the man who is ignorant of his destiny. So you look at the vast field of humanity. And then you ask yourself, what am I doing? What am I doing? What is it that am I truly doing? What am I trying to achieve with my life? What am I trying to do? Because to live, yes, here's the thing. To live without purpose, without direction, divine counsel. Brothers and sisters, is to live an aimless life, a wasted life. You are wasting the, the gift, the wisdom, the presence, the peculiarity of what God made you for. Let them have dominion over the birds of the air, over the fish of the sea, and over every creeping thing. So last night I said to you that obedience becomes essential. That to truly live is to fully obey. To fully obey. But how can you obey? Except you have heard. Except you have heard. What will you obey? Says, as a son, he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. Having been perfected through his sufferings, God made him the captain of salvation. John chapter 10. Let's discuss that a bit. to hear God for a successful life. You there? Okay. Let's read from verse Get it from verse. Mm. 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and they and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus. It is my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Isn't it strange that he uses the analogy of sheep to describe his relationship to those who are his? He doesn't say my people. He doesn't say my children. He doesn't say my servants. He says, my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. In another part, he says, the voice of the stranger they will not follow. John chapter 8, he said, follow me while you still have light in your sight. My sheep hear my voice. They hear my voice. My sheep. They hear my voice. The voice of a stranger they do not know and will not follow. He said, my sheep. Every animal has a different personality. Agreed? Every animal has a different personality to them. There are other animals that are lazy than others. You know that? There are other animals that eat more than others. In this context, there are other sheep that are more aggressive than others. There are other sheep that are lazy than others. But all these sheep, irrespective of their personality, have one thing in common. They know how to identify the voice of their shepherd. The lazy will go where the shepherds guide, as will the strong. So there are his sheep because they can hear his voice. And he knows them. He knows that they are mine. They hear my voice. My sheep. You, you, you know, uh, in the, especially in the Middle East, when the job, okay, does, an, does a sheep have any purpose for which they are alive? Think about sheep. 
Do they work? Yeah. Do they report? All sheep want is one thing. Food and water. They don't know where to get it. They don't know where they should go. It is the responsibility of the shepherd to scout out pasture for the sheep and lead them there. So, sheep learn trust. The reason why Jesus is the voice of a stranger they do not know is because, do you know, sheep become agitated in the presence of someone they do not know. A shepherd can go, the sheep will know what to do. You can do the same thing and the sheep will not do, do what you have instructed. What is in the sheep they can identify with their shepherd and not with a stranger? It is because through through the process of leadership, the shepherd gained his trust. Look at Jesus. Jesus doesn't call you unless and until he can show you that he's able to take care of you. Before he calls Peter, he preaches in his boat. Before he says, follow me, Peter had already seen what Jesus could do. He did not say, follow me, until Peter left him his boat. And Jesus rewarded him. And he said, follow me. Same with Levi. Same with Zacharias. All of them saw Jesus demonstrate his ability to take care of them. They followed him. What would make a man give up a business he has built over years that feeds his family to follow a man who he doesn't know? It is because what Jesus presented to men was the presence of God. It was not hard to follow Jesus after you encountered him. The difficulty we have in following Jesus in Christianity today is because we have not encountered him. Is because we have not had a close encounter with him. The day you meet him, the day you encounter him, it will be it will be the easiest thing for you to leave all things. Look at God. The Bible says the God of glory appeared to Abraham. The God of glory. Abraham didn't just see a man with a stick. He encountered the God of glory. The Bible says when the God of glory told him to leave his father's land. When he was still in Chaldea, he did not question. Years later, when God wanted to test the integrity of Abraham, he tested him with the very thing that he loved, and Abraham still did not question God. Some of us would cast the devil out. After you hear, 
a voice say to you, give up your only son whom you love. Go offer him as a sacrifice. I submit to you, what would you do? If in the night you hear a voice saying, Chris, offer your house as a sacrifice. See, God cannot bring us to that dimension of life because we have not yet learned to trust Him in His presence. So you cannot deceive the sheep. Even though the stranger can come dressed as their shepherd, you won't deceive them. The identity of the shepherd is not by how he looks. They identify the shepherd by how he speaks. So the shepherd maintains a high priority because the sheep knows without this one, we, we don't have a guarantee of tomorrow's meal. So they will follow the shepherd everywhere because they trust in the ability of the shepherd to take care of their needs. So wherever the shepherd leads them, they will go without question. Why? Because he has demonstrated his ability to provide for them. What has become a danger to most of us is that we have allowed the things, the things which seems to provide our needs to be our own shepherds. Because your job or your business puts food on the table, you are incognizant of the fact that there is one whose voice is drowned by that very same voice. So you ask yourself, how is it that we can live life and still be comfortable? Is because we have made our own shape. get to a point where you are so dependent on your husband, on your mother, on your father, that they become your shepherds. And their voice, remember, the shepherd is the one whose voice you hear the most. That voice that you hear loudest in your mind, that guides and directs your life, that is your shepherd. You wake up, you know, you must wake up at 4 o'clock. If you want to get to work by 6 o'clock, your job has become your shepherd. So it's difficult to participate in the things of the kingdom because you, you, you have a shepherd. So the voice of God becomes the voice of a stranger to you. So that's why it becomes difficult for you to trust in God because his voice has become a stranger to you. It is not difficult to hear God. Listen to me. It is not difficult. Oh my God. Every human being, both sinner and non-sinner, 
has the same ability to hear from God. Who's your shepherd? Who's your shepherd? I'll give you an example. Marriage becomes a problem when there are other voices dictating its flow, its direction. Do you know that? Do, do you know that? Why? Because it, it was intended by God that the woman should only hear one voice. The problem with Eve was that she chose to pair. Notice, notice Eve. Notice Eve. Eve doesn't go after Satan. Satan initiates a conversation with Eve. But Eve that does not reject it. She accepts it. She only accepted it because the voice of Adam was not strong in her life. So the shepherd must have a foundation, a strong foundation in your heart. Jesus. Just my sheep know my voice. The shepherd will cross over mountains to get to the pasture. I mean the sheep will cross over the mountains to get to the pasture the sheep is leading them to. So life eludes many. They live life with trial and error. Why? They have not known the voice of their shepherd. So they try this, they try that. They try this, they try that. They try this, they try that. I told you, passion has no bearing over destiny. Passion does not define destiny. It's like, it's like throughout, throughout your journey to marriage, right, until, to the one you find before you get married to, you may have had others that you said you loved. Did that mean that you were meant to live the rest of your life with them? Passion, love is not an indication of destiny. Jeremiah chapter 1. Verse number four. With them. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
your parents don't know you before you are born. They have no clue what you look like. They have no clue whether or not you will be born with disabilities or with talents or what gifts you will come out of that womb with. They have no clue. They don't know you before you are born. I understand what I'm saying to you? I understand what I'm saying to you? They don't know you before you are born. So the, the only knowledge of you they have is after you are born. They may say they love you, but they don't know you. They may say, ha ha, you know. This, no, they don't know you. But here, here's what God says to them. He says, before I formed you, Notice, says I. Your creation is a formation of God's intelligence. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Wait. That means your destiny does not lie with your parents. Destiny is not in family. You know, Jesus said, a man's greatest enemy will be those of his own household. What was he referring to? He was referring to the prohibition of fulfilling destiny. He says, your greatest resistance will come from your own household. A man is not without honor, except in his own country and amongst his own king. And also what? In his own household. David was anointed king, but his brothers didn't like him. Solomon was the same. You know that? So he says, before I found you, I knew you. So all the questions you have about you, about your life, your parents cannot answer them. You see Jesus developing an independency from his parents by the time he reached age 12. You can see he was trying, he was beginning to pull away because he was hearing something else. I don't have an answer for that. He was hearing something else. Something else was woo wooing his spirit. Something else was speaking into his spirit. He was hearing a different sound. Why? Destiny beckons. So God meets this young boy just before I formed you. So man is not a product of biological consequences. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So God wasn't just involved in forming from the dust of the earth. He forms man in the womb. Before I formed you, I knew you. Before 
before you were born, I sanctified you. Now, here's what we must begin to ask ourselves when we read this. Is, is this experience exclusive to Jeremiah alone? It can't be. It can't be. Because there are other men that are also born that have been formed. So you can see a pattern of God that everyone that is formed is known by God. Anyone before he's born is sanctified by God. Anyone before he's born is ordained by God. So we see God's foreknowledge. We see God's sanctification and ordination present before the man was born. But who quickens it? God Almighty. No one else can. God Almighty. God Almighty is the one responsible. So the, the duty of every individual is to understand the mystery of encounter. How to get to a point in their lives where they can encounter God and fulfill their destiny. So Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for a bad youth. Here's where I want you to see something. Where is passion then? Do you see Jeremiah being passionate about prophetic whatnot? <laughs> Moreover, he's, he's like a... What you are saying to me, those things. Listen, your destiny will always be bigger than what you want. Always bigger than what you 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 prefer. Moses, I'm a starter. But he was killing 40 years ago. He killed. For an Israelite. Now God is sending him to the very same Israelites he tried to save. He said, I'm a man of slow speech. <laughs> Send someone else, please. God says, No, but you go. He says, <laughs> Even after God performed the miracle, <laughs> I'll pass. With desire then. You see, all those things, all these things about follow your passion, all those things, all those things are created by the lasciviousness of man. It is because, now, now if, if you can't hear from God, right, what becomes then your moral, your compass for life? No, what I love, must do what I love. You're not a free agency in the sense that you, you, you created yourself, you made yourself. There were decisions that were made for you by God. The fact that you are here is a decision made by Almighty God. So your own is to discover through encounter that intent. So you live 15 years, 16 years, 40 years, 60 years, 80 years. What you don't realize is that the eternal 
perspective of the Lord over your life remains unfulfilled. So there are some people, they are as good as dead, even though they live 90 years, 40 years, 60 years. It matters what you do in this life. And it matters how you do it. I told you, you don't look outside to observe what success is. You listen inside. She said, ah, Lord God. Then God says, do not say you are youth. Don't speak like that. So here's a question. Did God go to Jeremiah or Jeremiah went to God? <laughs> who went to who? Obviously, it was God, right? God went to Moses. God went to Abraham. God went to Adam. God went to Isaac. God went to Jacob. All these people have no trouble knowing their destiny because God is the one that initiates the conversation. So to hear God really is not difficult. Nebuchadnezzar didn't ask for the dreams. Pharaoh didn't ask for the dreams. It was God who brought them. So how do you hear the Lord? How can I hear the Lord? How can I hear the voice of God in my life? How do I, how do I begin? How do I begin to hear God's voice in my life? You know, hearing God is more important than education or a degree or career, or marriage, or whatever it is in life that you think you need, that you can hear God, that, that, that you can hear, oh, that you can hear God, hear, oh, my goodness, that you can hear God, God hear, hearing God speak is living. There is not, there is not, oh, how do you live? How does a human being, Jesus said to Satan, men shall not live, 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 live. So the livelihood of man does not lie only in him being able to consume the foods that are available for his body, but it is in the inherent nature and thirst and hunger of his spirit to hear from God. So man was coded to hear from God. That's why Nebuchadnezzar, even though he was not God-fearing, could hear God. So he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He says, I live by what I hear my father say. Like I said to you, after you have heard God and obeyed what he has said, you can go sleep in the beach or go lie in the beach for 400 years and do nothing else except that. And God will still take care of your provisions. Men suffer because they can't hear. 
So in the new covenant, he gives everyone the spirit. So let's fly. Revelations. Is there a low shading? Uh? There was nothing on the schedule. Okay. We'll see. If there is, there is. If there isn't, there isn't. Amen. You ready? You there? Verse 6, please. Chapter 3. So how, how can I hear from God? How, how do I hear from God for my destiny? How? How do I hear from God for my destiny? You see, there is a difference in the communication of God or the word of knowledge. There is a difference between the word of knowledge and the Lord talking or the Lord speaking to you. The word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning, all of those things are, are God speaking, right? But they are not necessarily addressing you. They may be addressing events. They may be addressing people, other people. They may be addressing other things. That's why a man can make others rich and he himself be poor. Because the law, the gift he uses to bless others does not necessarily work for him. Do you understand? So there is the ability of the spirit to communicate to a revelation to an individual for other things except himself. You understand? So Elisha can do all those things, but Elisha still dies. Yet Elisha's bones raise someone from the dead. Makes no sense. Why wasn't the power in his bones able to sustain him in his sickness? Because the Bible says he was sick. He was sick. Yet he had a two times the spirit of Elijah. Why? Isn't it strange? Isn't it strange? Why? Why doesn't Elijah, Elisha leave? Why doesn't he get healed? Whereas his bones revive a dead person. So it is imperative that every man learns how to hear God. Not from a gift. Not from a manifestation of the spirit. But from the spirit of God himself. From Jesus Christ himself. Let's read it. Revelation chapter number one. 
Revelation chapter number one, verse number ten. So then you ask yourself, what's more important, Mr. Isaac? What's more important? <coughs> Is it healing world for my destiny or continuing life? Why should we continue life? With all its inconsistencies, with all its uh, unsureties, why should we continue living with the hopes that it will be okay one day? When we have the opportunity to hear directly from the Father which way I should take, what steps I should follow, what I should do. So the moment you start living like that, you free yourselves from the opinions of men, from the thoughts of men, and from the labels of men. Because now you know that your success in life is based on your fulfillment in what God has said. So I am successful only as far as I can hear and follow God. If I'm not following God, no matter what is happening in my life, good or bad, I am failing. So, if I am failing or succeeding in doing or not doing what God has said, that means the greatest failure of man is, in, is his inability to hear God. So your greatest failure as a person, you are a failure if you can do all other things in this life and can't hear God. You are a failure. You have failed. You have failed yourself and also you have failed your generation. Because it's in what God says to you that delivers a generation. It is what God says to you that liberates a generation. David said to God, before I die, let me communicate your power to my generation. Let me not leave this earth without having demonstrated your power. Oh, lift up your hand, say, God, speak to me. Oh, Mon jomoyo monomonto proto bonogon jobron se panikonda brakina mahai shaboti kapora kidabo shalabara bahanza lebrahanta oh jesus speak 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 to our lives speak to our destiny sando clay marado shele marone lebrakido salebranze gretele granda bradila grakabara bahai Oh, Sharamanta Gramigo Zabraliga Soe, Mashamale Takaro Dokora Baraliti Branda Bashe Proposonta. Come on, speak in tongues, speak in tongues. Stir your spirit, stir your spirit, stir your spirit, stir your spirit, stir your spirit. Oh, God. Oh, 
Rata bara bara bala bala boho shalamata Rama mama ma koto kora bara bala dosa kapata Limande go salamando Raka para dosa Kemaramata ko Oh, glory to God. Chapter 1, verse number 10. Says I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I, and I, and I, behind me a. Mm. So he's telling me about the nature of spirit, not only of spirit personality but also of the realm from which they function. He says, I was in the spirit and I heard. I was in the spirit and I heard. I was in the spirit and I heard. That tells us something, that every time a man has heard from God, he must have been in the spirit. That it is impossible for a man to hear from God who is a spirit unless the man is in a spirit. So God does not speak from the dimension of man. He speaks from his own dimension. So our failure to hear God is our failure to be in the spirit. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He's talking about a specific time in which he was in the spirit. Signifying that he was not always in the spirit. But there was a time on the Lord's day when he was in the spirit. And he heard. And he heard. Notice what comes first. The hearing comes before the seeing. He heard. And he heard a voice behind him. Let me read it in the Amplified. I was in the Spirit, in special communication with the Holy Spirit, empowered to receive and record the revelation from Jesus Christ. On the Lord's day, I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Titaria, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. He says, I heard, I heard, I heard. So the principle of hearing is being in the spirit. Hallelujah. What is it you want to hear from God? Or what is it God wants to 
cause you to hear from him. He says, the meeting point is the spirit. The meeting point is the spirit. And now you must ask yourself, because he says, I was in the spirit. He didn't say I was, t- I was taken in the spirit. There are other places where he says I was taken. But at this time, he says, I was. The implications there is that this man did something to enter into the spirit. He wasn't just taken into the spirit because this suggests that it was a deliberate action from John. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was not taken. I was not brought. There are times when you are taken, but there are times when you must take yourself. Otherwise, why would God, Chris, allow you to wait for him in order for you to get into the spirit? When there are pressing urgent matters that you need to attend to, that you need to hear from God. So he needs to provide access to you in some way that would allow you to enter into a dimension where you can receive counsel from his spirit and then come back and do what you must. And act on what he has said. So no man, there, there are no one, two, three steps that are available for a man to hear from God. They don't exist. No man can teach another man, here's how you can hear from God. It is impossible. You only learn that by your your adventures in the spirit. You can only hear his voice until, you see, we can teach you to be in the spirit, but not out here, God. Because once you are in the spirit, there's no need for you to be taught. Who Who taught Moses to part the Red Sea? What technology did he use to part the Red Sea? What technology did Jesus use to walk on water? Show me the technology. David said, he has taught my hands to do war. David was not a man of warfare. Who taught him to do war? So there are things that only God can bring you into. Not a man. Oh. It's like, it's like teaching you how to dream. Can you be taught how to dream? Five steps to seeing visions. You can't be taught to see visions. Oh, we are we are doing a class on Glossalalea, you know, speaking in tongues. We are doing a class on speaking in tongues. Come, all who can't speak in tongues, you will you will know, you will know how to speak. We'll teach you the syllables, the language of tongues. So you come to the class, shala, mala, ala. <laughs> You can't teach that, right? But, but you can provide the opportunity for that experience by the introduction of a spirit. Oh my So when I say to you, I'll teach you how to hear God, what we are actually saying, we are are, are teaching you how to position, localize yourself in the place where God speaks. 
And that's why I say the voice of any prophet is not to replace God's voice in your life. Because the moment the prophet replaces God's voice in your life, that's where deception comes in. Take heed that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ. But listen to what I say. That's what he said. Listen to what I say. All these things will not happen. And my coming will be like a thief in the night. So what the voice of any prophet should do is to supplement God's voice in your life. But how can you hear unless you are in the spirit? The thing is, finish this. May I will, I will fire him. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know me. I will fire him. This, this is unacceptable. Praise the Lord. So, 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 you only know God's voice when you are in the spirit. Correct? Right? So, I must learn then how to be in the spirit where I can hear God for myself. There's a difference between visitations and encounters. Visitations are God initiated. That means you don't need to do anything. It has to do with the sovereign timing of God. And unto every man is allocated the time of visitation. Do you know that? What is man that thou art mindful of and the son of man that you visit him? So for every human being, even in your life, Chris, there are moments where God has intended for visitation. There are times when the spirit will signal moments of visitation to you. Those times are normally times where God will impress you to be isolated. You know those times where you don't feel like watching TV. You don't understand. Three weeks, four weeks pass. But you know you love TV. You, you try to watch that movie. That thing is gone. But you forced it. You don't have any desire to be with your friends. You don't have any desire to be with anybody. That's what we call the wooing of the spirit. Because even though God has set a time in which to visit you, Umpo, there are still preconditions. Sanctify thyself. For tomorrow the Lord God shall do wonders. Sanctify yourself is the condition. If you don't sanctify yourself, the Lord even tells them, do, let not the men go into their wives and their wives to their men. And let all those who are ceremoniously uh, impure, let them stay away from the camp. Why? Because the Lord is coming. So because the Lord is coming, he has set the conditions that preempts his visitation. And then their encounters. Encounters are invoked. Are, are invoked through the initiation of certain spiritual processes. So you can have an encounter every week. You can get to a point in your life where you 
you you so saturate your spiritual atmosphere environment where you can have an encounter with God and the spirit dimension every week but all those things have one thing in common they take place in the spirit Remember when they were on the mountain? Uh, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, and Jesus changed and they saw whatever they saw. When they came down, Jesus says, Be careful not to share what anybody, share with anybody this what? Vision. How? But it was happening literally. Jesus said it was a vision. It was a vision. It was a vision. But it was happening literally. Jesus said it was a vision. Let me explain. Let me explain. Only Peter, James, and John saw Jesus' clothes change. No one else. Now here's proof. Now, if he shone brighter than the sun, Right? If it's the same, it shone brighter than the sun. How? Chris, doesn't the sun shine in its full strength? When the sun shines, you can see everything, correct? So, if Jesus shone brighter than the sun, that means those in Capernaum, those in the surrounding regions would have thought that it was daylight. And even the other nine disciples would have seen would have come down and say hey we saw some light we don't know what was happening up there we saw some beaming you know there's something going they didn't see it telling us that it was only exclusive to peter james and john the experience if you are there and not invited or if you are standing on the mountain and looking you you would not have seen what the three were seeing That's why Jesus said, do not share this vision with anybody until, I, until I'm raised from the dead. Correct? Now, there was a time in Israel when the entire nation heard God speak. And they said, eh, eh. That, was, that was the first and the last time God spoke to them directly. Because they said, no, 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 it's just too much. No, let him speak to you. You speak to us. I think that's the best way. You speak to us. Because this we can't bear. It will kill us. <laughs> God said, the people have said a, a right thing. Imagine. <laughs> God said, the people have said a right What they have said is very true, Moses. It's very right. <laughs> There was a time when the 70 elders, the Bible said, they saw God in eight. So to perceive God, to hear God, is a possibility that exists to those who know how to get into the Spirit. Now, let me tell you, let me assure you, this way is the hardest, the most difficult way. Do you think 
Satan would make it easy for us to hear God. That's why sin is in the flesh. No way else. Sin is in the flesh. The only limitation against the spirit is the flesh. The only thing as, as, as powerful and strong as you, that can take on your spirit is the flesh. The Bible says they war against each other. The flesh. The flesh. What is in the flesh? Sin. Sin is the strength of the flesh. Sin is the power of the flesh. When you see yourself loving sin, indulging in sin, you know your flesh is stronger than your spirit. And there is no possible way you can enter the dimensions of God. It is impossible. So what must happen? To be in the spirit means you are not in the flesh. Correct? Amen. To be, you cannot be in the flesh and in the spirit at the same time. It is impossible. It is impossible. So, how do I get to the spirit and where is the spirit? How do I get into the spirit and where is the spirit? Okay. Where is the spirit? <laughs> yeah? Where, 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 where is the spirit? Yeah? You can't get to a place where you don't know. <laughs> So, where is this? That's where we must begin. Where is the spirit? Is it somewhere? <laughs> where is it? Where do you think it is? When he said, oh, I was in the spirit. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I was in the spirit the other day. <laughs> What do you mean? Where were you? <laughs> you know Christians would like to look deep. <laughs> you know, as I was in the spirit, you know, the, the law. Where, where were you? Where were you? Because if you were there that day, he said he was in the spirit looking at him, you would see his whole body right there with you. <laughs> So when he says, I was in the spirit, what did oh, oh, how, what are you saying, Chris? You know, you know, pastor, I was in the spirit. I was in the spirit. But your body's here, we see you. You're like, maybe, you're lying to us. Like, the sign that one has been in the spirit is, is, is indicated by the revelation he brings forth from that dimension. You can't say you are in the spirit and you tell us things of earth. <laughs> so where is the spirit? Yeah, where is it? Someone. Yeah, is someone. Is the spirit is everywhere. 
Or you're getting to something there. You, <laughs> you guessed it, but you are close to something. The spirit, okay. All right. Where is the earth? Where is earth? <laughs> is earth in heaven? Are we in heaven? But where is like I mean when 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 God is sending the angels to like what when he sent Gabriel to earth, right? The, Daniel said he reached me around the evening sacrifices. He was caused to fly swiftly from wherever he was. So from heaven to earth, there was a distance because the angel flew, right? But where, where were, what road, highway did the angel take to reach earth? And how did he know if I fly this way, I will reach earth? They, there's hell, right? You know about hell, right? The Bible says Shuel is where? It's in the earth, right? Deep under the earth. Yeah? Correct? How do we get there? Is it a physical place or a spiritual place? Yeah. No, no, let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about that. Is hell a spiritual place or a physical place? Physical. Yeah? But it's in the earth. If we dig, wait, if we dig a tunnel right through underneath the earth, will we find hell? <laughs> but the Bible says Shuel is underneath the earth. Now wait. Moses. When Moses, when, when Moses opened the earth, right? When Moses opened the earth, the Bible says the earth opened up and it swallowed the entire clan, right? Where did they go? How? So the earth opened and they went down. So if we open the earth, we will see hell. Is that the case? No, but Moses... Look, the Bible says the earth opened and, and received them to Shuel. How? So, if we open, the Bible says Shuel is under the earth. But hell is a place reserved for the devil, who is a spirit. But it's under the earth. In the, we know the physical geography of hell. But we can't get there physically. There's no amount of digging you can do that will cause you to reach hell. Because the Bible says hell has been prepared for Satan and his angels. So hell, even though it's in a physical dimension, is in the spirit. So to go to hell, you don't go down. That means, Chris, that there are doors on earth. When dead people die, how do demons take them to hell? That means there are doors on earth 
that a man must what? Must walk into to reach hell. Because from heaven, there is a direct gate that leads you into hell. When you are in heaven, you don't have to travel down to go to hell. You open a door, you open a gate, and you are there. There is a path in heaven. Oh my goodness. Let's not even go there. But I'm sharing this to you to help you understand something. <clears throat> so this place is on earth, but you can't get there physically. But it's on earth. It's in the spirit. So in the earth, there is a spiritual place. In the earth, there is a spiritual place that is called hell. And even in hell, there are other layers, dimensions. You find Gehenna, Purgatory, all these dimensions of hell that are underneath. Right now, if you go to the deepest part of the ocean and start digging, we won't reach Gehenna. <laughs> because it's spiritual. But what can begin to happen is that you can begin to go deep down, right? And that's where the, 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 the law of parallels take place. You can go to that location and start hearing voices, but not see nothing. Why? Is it the spirit? So even though Jacob is in Bethel, he can look around and not see any staircases. He must sleep before he sees. When he sleeps, he sees a ladder from the earth to the heavens. Where is heaven? Where is the spirit? Earth is already in the spirit. Earth is a spiritual location. Though it is physical, it is spiritual in nature. In nature. So, earth is in the spirit. That means wow, it's easy for me to hear God. Correct? No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It would have been that way had Adam not sinned. So when Adam sinned, man fell into an even lower state that made it almost impossible for him to hear God. Now, the day you eat, you, you, you know what death means? What, what, you know what die, to die means, right? What does it mean? Separated from God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Separated from God and two. Oh, when your body is in a spiritual form, you have died. You would when your spirit comes out of your body, you die. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there are times when your body leaves, your spirit leaves your body and you don't die, right? Yes, yes. And but there are times when your spirit leaves your body and is dead. Yes. So what determines 
Which is which? Okay, when you don't come back, when you don't come back, you die. <laughs> yes, yes, you're right, right? You're right, right? But, but there, is a defi- there, is, there is the right definition for that. Death means the end of communication between two entities. That means when you die, your body ceases to communicate with your spirit. Your spirit ceases to communicate with your body. So because that communication is breached, is what we call death. Are you following me? So Adam's communication with God ended the day he ate. Communication in what sense? His communication with the spirit dimension. His communication with heaven ended that day. That's why after that day, it was God always who initiated conversation. Man could not in his own strength go and approach God to hear him. So God must go go to the man. You understand that? Why? Because man is dead. Man is So after you have died, After you have died and Christ brings you alive, what should be the goal of your life? Is to strengthen the communication between these two realms. So when you are here in the spirit, you can hear. But when you are back here, you can't hear. You hear, you hear strange voices. You hear the voice of your mother, the voice of the, the system, the voice of the world, the voice of, you know, there are communities you enter into. Immediately when you enter into, you are oppressed. You didn't even do it. You know that? Why? Because there are voices in those communities that speak. So, for you to live above the oppression and strongholds of those communities, you must have heard from someone higher. So, where is the Spirit? Everywhere. Where is the Holy Spirit? everywhere the spirit is everywhere but you are not always in it it's like it's like uh, uh, it's like wind it's like wind you know wind it's like wind Wind and air are two different things. Alright? Wind and air are two different things. They may carry the same nature, but they are two different things. You understand that? You understand that, right? So, so wind can enter your body. You, that's how you get all those pneumonic stuff, right? It's because wind has entered your your body and it can build up inside you. Correct? What sustains a man is his, is his ability to breathe in and out. Air. You don't breathe in wind, you breathe in air. <laughs> Correct? The day you stop breathing it, it's over. Like it's 
over. Hold your breath for five minutes. Over. Over. Right? The spirit dimension is that way. You must be in it for you to realize the realities that exist there. And the most important reality in the spirit is the voice of God. So he says, I was in the spirit. So only spirits can lead you into the spirit. Right? Only spirits. You can't, you, you, you can't, you can't beat a jaguar in the jungle. Can you? <laughs> can't beat a jaguar. Oh, you can't beat a jaguar in the, unless maybe you are Tarzan. <laughs> and you must have already been raised there. Right? Because to understand the, the, the geography of a location, you must have been a, a habitat, a citizen of that geography. Correct? Yes. Yes. You cannot beat a fish, try to beat a fish in the water. You can't. That is natural habitat. So the spirit dimension is the natural habitat of spirits. So only spirits can expose you to the spirit dimension. You understand? So how then do I get into the spirit where I can hear God speak to me? How? There must be a way. It's not just automatic. There must be a way. They must, they must. There has to be a not a you know a definite way without you know with Without a definite way where you know if you do this and this, this is what will come out. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and I heard a voice. Okay, let's let's deal with that, alright? So your your hearing is not a function of your talent. Or it's not a function of your, your gift. You, you agree? So there's no one who is who is talented, so talented, more talented than others in hearing God. It's not a function of talent. It's a function of location. It's not a function of education. It's a function of location. So, you can be the dumbest person on earth by human standards and still hear God. You can be the most illiterate, most suffering, the poorest and still hear God. So, hearing God has nothing to do with your, your earthly status, but your geography in the spirit. Now, why do we say that, that hearing God is more important than degree, career, money, sex, all those things? Oh, why? 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 Because life is a function of spirit. So you can't successfully navigate from point A to point B. Oh, even the richest have questions they can't answer. 
Even the riches don't sleep at night. They are oh, oh. you know Steve Jobs? What killed him? <laughs> the guy was a genius. What killed him? What killed him? Cancer. So there, there are things in life that you cannot do without God. Because cancer killed him. He had, he had access to the best institutions. Access to the best doctors, the best hospitals. He still died. He still died. So hearing God is more important than money. Because money can save you from death. Hearing God is much more important than a degree. How many people do you have today have degrees in their faith, isn't it? And they work for people who don't have degrees? Many. <laughs> Many. So the only thing that is higher and greater than all the stratas of men is the voice of God. That's why Moses can get before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Pharaoh, the God, the God of Egypt, couldn't utter the words, kill this man. That's why a shepherd boy could become a king of Israel for an eternity. Why? Because he heard Jehovah. So how do I get into the spirit, Pastor, where I can hear God for myself? Are we there? Genesis, please. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Chapter number eight. You won't expect this, but this is the best way to solicit communication with God and the Spirit. Chapter 8 verse 20. Please read from verse 20 and verse 21. Alright? But read verse 21. Read the first two clauses. That means clauses, right? Verse 2 closes. Let's see if you know what those are. <laughs> Let's read. Verse 20. I'll read. Again, let's read. Mm. Yeah, verse 21. And the Lord 
And the Lord smells. How? Wait. The Lord can smell physical things. Who said no? <laughs> but he just, the Bible says he smelled it. And the Lord smelled a soothing. A Wait, 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 wait. The Lord smelled a soothing. How? Wait. The Lord smelled a Wait, the Lord smells a soothing what? Perfume. Imagine all those all those animals dying there. But the Lord smells a soothing perfume. When did those bird offerings turn from smoke into perfume? When did the when did that smoke? If you were there, you won't be smelling as these animals dying, right? <laughs> burning, and it's going up. When did the the smoke? Mr. Bali, I'm trusting you with this answer. Because <laughs> okay, when when did the smoke become perfume? But you think about this, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you're not thinking. <laughs> you're just talking. When, when did the smoke turn into perfume? When? When? Not when. When? Yeah, when. What was the time when the smoke stopped smelling like smoke and it became perfume? Yeah? Because the Bible said it soothed the Lord. Imagine the Lord was soothed. Soothed. You, you know what to soothe. The Lord was soothed by that. What? Whatever was happening there, the Lord was soothed. The Bible said it was a soothing aroma. So the Lord needs to be soothed. Imagine. You, you know what to be soothed. You know when you. Imagine the Lord was was was, was oh. he was soothed. You know when they ma when you go to a massage.
this was definitely not made from beans. This is, I don't know, this baby was made from, you know, sugar beans or something. It was not like a whole, you know, you can smell that it. it's more, it's not perfume. No, it's something else. It's not perfume, it's something else. Right? But whatever it was that Noah gave, and the Bible tells us, the Bible says, it smelled nice to the Lord. It smelled nice to the Lord. And the question is, when did the smoke become perfume? Because when, when, when was the point when the smoke turned into perfume, when God could smell it? I mean, does it mean that that smoke reached when right into heaven? Yeah, while it was still on the altar. Now, but, but what I want to ask is that how did God get to smell it? Because he was in heaven. Now the smoke, so the smoke went through all the atmospheric, whatever, went to the clouds, passed through the stars, right into God's throne, and the Lord smelled it. You see, when you read the Bible, is this is the questions you must ask, because the answers give you insight into certain operations in life. So you ask, when when did the smoke become the perfume? When it was ascending. When it was not far. Now, now this is where we must ask something. Right? How did it reach God? How did that smoke reach God? You can't answer the first one. Answer the second one. How did the smoke reach God? How did it trap? Yes, yes, yes. Like you said, like yeah. This is yeah. He's actually right there. Nobody's in heaven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But this thing was a physical thing, right? Yes, continue. He got it. Yeah, but like I explained it. It was spiritual. He got it spiritual. And then because of the intention. Because of the intention yeah, of man. Yeah. Of yeah. So what made so what made the, the thing the perfume, the smoke the perfume was was coming from hey, You guys you guys are missing you you're missing you are missing a point here. Alright? You are missing a point here because this the, the point is hidden. It was not what Noah offered. It was where he offered it. The Bible says he built an altar. Elijah could not bring the fire until the altar was built. Where was the altar coming from? From heaven. Correct? Correct? The altar was coming from heaven. They saw it because the altar burned. Again, the altar burned, right? But it was coming from heaven. And it, the water didn't even consume the fire from the altar. That fire was coming from heaven. And it burned on a physical structure. It tells you something about altars.
So he builds an altar. Correct? Yes. When he builds an altar, he offers the clean elements on the altar. Now here's a question I want to ask. If he had, ki if he had just killed the animals and burned them in the grass, would God receive it? Would God receive his sacrifice? Would it smell like aroma? How? Oh, why? Because he did the same thing. Look. No, God didn't tell Noah to build the altar. Remember? Noah is the one who built it. Now, okay. So you all agree that if it was on the ground, God would not receive it. So God received it because it was on an altar. Yeah? Yes. Yes. So, what is an altar there? Because the altar, the altar was responsible for the smoke of the offering to be coming. Aroma, perfume. It was, it was the altar that was responsible. I will show you how. Altars are the only way you can take physical things into the spirit. Altars are the only thing, are the only ways you can transport what is physical into the spirit dimension. I can show you how. Jesus could not enter hell until he died on a cross. That cross was an altar. He had to offer himself on an altar. Remember, he was the lamb. And lambs are offered on altars. So the cross was an altar that Jesus offered himself for what? To gain access into the spirit. Because without altars, that which is spirit cannot become flesh. That, oh Lord, that which is flesh cannot become spirit. So how does Noah begin to get into the dimension of the spirit? How does he bring his offerings into the spirit? He builds an altar. And the altar is responsible for transmuting that offering into spiritual content that God can smell. That's why, Chris, prayers prayed in a church are more dangerous than prayers prayed in your house. Except the house is an altar. That's why the strength of any man's spirituality, the strength, the authority of his life is on the foundation of the altar he is built. If a man has no altar, a man is weak, no matter what activities he does. That's why you find there are Christians who, who are retrenched at work and people who serve other gods still maintaining their positions. Why? It is not because the Christians do not serve God. It is because they have an altar that shouts and talks and has more power than the Christians. Authority is decided on altars. So no one builds an altar. But the moment the smoke comes out of the altar. God can smell it because the altar is the door between spirits and flesh. So flesh encounters spirits on altars. God doesn't meet Moses anywhere else. Only the day Moses decides to lead his sheep to Mount Horeb. The Bible calls Horeb the mountain of God. And there he meets God. 
God doesn't meet doesn't meet Jacob anywhere else. Only until Jacob reaches the place where his father, a generation ago, built an altar unto the Lord. His eyes are open and he encounters the God of destiny. The God of all blessing. The same thing happened to Isaac. The place where he built the altar, God met in the boxes. After he built the altar, he dug wells and built out. Men who understand the technology of altars can go into a desert and build altars and dig a well right into the in the desert and a fountain will spring up. Altars have always been house, the meeting place between spirits and man. That's why they tell you when you go to those sangomas, you must kill a cow, kill a chicken, and place it somewhere. And on the altar, some graves have been made. It is where strength, spiritual forces are solicited. Satan doesn't just operate on the earth. He operates only where an altar has been built, allowing him access. In, 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 in science, they, they are called ley lines. They are, they are lines, they are spiritual lines in the earth today that people can explain. If you see every important building on earth and you, 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 you draw a line, you can draw a line between the first building and the last building, you will notice something that all important buildings on earth are built upon the same light ley lines. Buckingham Palace is built on the same ley line that the Vatican City is built upon. They understand the pathway of spirits. So, 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 how, how do I enter the spirit where I can hear God? Remember, the Bible says he, he heard, oh Lord, he, the Lord smelled it. And the Bible says the Lord then said in his heart, I, I will never, as long as the earth remains. What God smelled caused him to utter words that he can't even reverse to. Altars invoke voices. The voices of spirits are heard loudly and clearly. Environment of altars. It's not an Old Testament thing. Jesus made mountains his altars. You study his life, you see more than any other place. Jesus liked to like to pray in Gethsemane. Like to play, pray in elevated places. Why? Because because the mountain. That's why the mountain is the is the most natural form of an altar because it was built by no one but God. That's why you see many men in the Bible, David, Moses. It all love to go to the mountain because there's an altar. Mountains are out. Notice, on the altar he offers, but something else speaks. 
When some mamas come back from their whatever initiation, they tell them they must build what? An altar. Every Sangoma has an altar. Either right next to their bed. There is one in their bed where every morning, before they do anything, they must go and speak to the altar. And then there is the other one where they use to consult people. It's an altar. Churches are altars. But you must have your own personal altar. You see, if you want to create the right environment to access the spirit dimension to hear from God for your destiny, you must build an altar. You must build an altar. He said to Moses, if any man wishes to build an altar, he must build it of natural and cut stones. If you want an angel, a spirit to stay with you, you build an altar for that spirit. It is the housing. You see, Saparotro, Devon, Hedra. Altars are, are to spirits, either godly spirits or demonic spirits, what your flesh is to your own spirit. It is what legalizes the actions of spirit on earth. Notice, on that place where Abraham built an altar, what did Jacob see? Angels of God descending and ascending. What? There was traffic. A gate was open. Altars are bodies, are the bodies of spirits. Mr. Bali. It is a fact that spirits cannot function on earth without bodies. Correct? But, but spirits, there are spirits today, evil spirits that are causing catastrophic natural disasters without any human agency. How do they do it? How do they accomplish those feats? It's because somebody somewhere built an altar giving permission to that spirit to terrorize a region. One of the reasons why that it is so difficult for people in this locality to receive the gospel because this place at one point in time was a place of altars. There are altars built in this place. There are graves all over this place. There were altars. Mm. 
strange things happen in the mafias. You know that. You know the strange things that happen here. <laughs> no, those who live here will tell you. Spirits walking in the night. Why? What gives them the legal ground? So you must build an altar that is greater than the enemy of your destiny. And you see, it is what you do on that altar that solicits spiritual courage. So you build an altar. Your tides are an altar. Why did the angel go to Cornelius? And what was the first thing the angel said to Cornelius? He says, your prayers have come up to us. And your arrows have what? Become a memorial unto you. That's why even though he was unborn again, he would receive visitation and direction from the spirit because what he was doing was it was a memorial that's why you give your tithe in church you give your, your tithe in the place where the Lord has put his name because that is where the Bible says it is the temple that sanctifies the gold that's what Jesus said the gift is sanctified. He said the gift is sanctified by what? The altar. He asked them a question. Does the altar sanctify the gift or the gift the altar? Then he told him, you hypocrites, do you not know that it is the altar that sanctifies the gift? So your prayers are sanctified on the altar. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That tells us, tells us that John was accustomed to doing something on the Lord's day. Which at the point at which he had done it at that given time allowed him to enter the spirit. Altars, brothers and sisters, let God know where to visit you. You see, an altar is a place, is a place where you enact spiritual activity on a consistent basis. That's why I told you that you can make altars out of watches, altars out of time. See, we can't teach you to hear God. Your altar. 
what he did after the encounter. He took a stone and he anointed oil on us. That place from that day became better. It was previously known as loose, but because he said it, it became better. Even today, up to this day, that place is still called better. When does your story change, Vincent? Doesn't change when you get a new job. Doesn't change when you get a degree. Doesn't change when you start a business. Your story changes. When your bills and out unto the Lord that helps you siphon His presence, His voice, and the activity of spirit. What gives whatever spirit that is controlling their presence of their right to block everything in their life until they hit the call? Listen, all these brothers and sisters are systems that have been borrowed from the divine, are systems that have been borrowed from God. Some of your lives are clogged up today because you are not hidden. Destiny. You are not healing to destiny because there are no activities on your own if there is a call. You know Christianity? God will bless you. God will bless you. That worked that way. That worked. You must hear God for yourself. That means you must build your own altars. See why family, some families are weak? There are no family altars. A thing that is done on a consistent basis attracts the spirit that controls or facilitates the That becomes an altar. For instance, if you pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and consistently throughout your life, you will get to a point in your life where your prayer life no longer becomes a function of your own strength, but a function of what 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 we call the spirit of prayer or the spirit of grace, the grace for prayer starts coming. That means, in that area, you have built up an altar. Why? Because it has attracted the spirit. Do you understand that? Do, do you understand that? So consistency, discipline, must be applied. Remember, after Jesus, Jesus is the reality. Every other thing is a shadow. 
the reality of that activity that Noah did exists. You understand what I'm saying? It exists. Christ is the, is the reality. There was a truth. There was a typology. Christ is the reality of that. So, because we are in Christ, we walk in the reality of all the shadows in the New Testament. So, altars in the spirit have their own counterparts. And this is what I'm telling you. The consistency of applied activity. That's how you're going to win in this life, Mrs. Mother. That's how you're going to thrive in this life. That's how your life will be a reflection of God's destiny for you and not a reflection of the voices of witches, the voices of those who have spoken with the Bible says, the heritage of the Lord is to condemn every voice that rises against you. This is the heritage of the Lord's servants. How do you do that on the altar? Altar speak. The Bible says that God told Cain that the voice of his brother's blood cries to him from the earth. Why? His blood was being on an altar. And from that day, even today, that blood is still crying. <sighs> when you shed blood, is when your altar is. Otherwise, life will be a confluence of any point in your life, you can know whether or not you are successful or you are failing. Like I said, I am the most successful person I know. <coughs> not because of what I had or do but because I am executing what God is speaking to Man was not designed to fish for himself. Does a man 
who worries about what to eat have time to think about his destiny? No. So provision must be included in the destiny factor of life. Because for you to fully engage yourself, look at Jesus. He didn't worry whether or not he had money. He didn't worry. He didn't, he didn't have a thought about those things. All he was focused on was what? His destiny. It was because he had all that he required provided for him. So you, a man cannot focus on God, focus on destiny, and still think about food. And still think about what to wear. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God instead of worry about what to eat, what to wear, what to eat. So the, you can see the entire framework of life is designed around one thing. Think about food. Think about what to wear. Think about what to drive. Think about what to eat. Just don't think about why you were born. So we spend far less time thinking about why we are born. And we spend far more time thinking about what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what we're going to dress. One day, they asked Mark Zuckerberg, why does he wear the same shirt, the same color pants, all it says, because that eliminates the amount of energy I need to spend time thinking about what to wear. I can use that energy to focus on how to grow my business. That tells us something. That every time we are thinking about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, we are expending the energy, a part of our energy, or energy of ourselves that is meant to be utilized for our destiny. Build an altar and stay on that altar until God speaks to you. Until God speaks. We'll continue.